I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome to Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee. And on this week's episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, Jason Lee and Amy Donaldson and I are speaking with Utah Representative Sandra Hollins. She is a Democrat from Salt Lake City who is uh, the first African-American woman to serve in the Utah State Legislature. Thank yes. you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can uh, you talk a little bit about what kind of uh, prompted you to even want to run for political office? Because prior to, uh, what, six years ago, mm-hmm. you were just... Uh, an average citizen yes. uh, here in Salt Lake. Yes, um, I was an average citizen who was working um, as a social worker um, in the mental health field um, and just interested in my community. Um, I had a, a woman, um, representative, then Representative Jennifer Seeley, called me one day and asked me to come and have lunch with her. And I did. And throughout that conversation, she said, you know, I've been watching you. I've been watching how you interact with people. And I've been watching how the community respond to you. Have you ever thought about getting into politics? And my response to her was absolutely not. I will (laughs) not go into politics. And then I proceeded to make excuses and say, you know, I have my daughters. They're in high school and I, I want to be there for them. And I'm in college working on my master's degree. There is no way I, I, I can do this. And so she dropped it, and she didn't say anything else about it. And then when she decided to retire, she picked up the phone and called. She said, I just retired from my position. Your daughter's are away at college, and you're finished with your master's degree. What is your excuse now? And so um, after I discussed it with some of my friends and we talked about it, um, then we decided, my friends decided, yes. <laughs> they, they decided for you. They decided for me. I invited them over for dinner. You know, my husband was totally on board. He said, tell me what you want to do, and I'm, to- and I'm behind it. Um, I invited some of my closest friends over, and we had a conversation about it. And after talking about it, at the end of the evening, they, they took a vote and said, okay, who all wants to think Sandra should run for office? And How great is that? <laughs> yes, and they said, okay, well, we, we're running for office. <laughs> what were you most afraid of when it came to dis- making that decision? You know, um, the, most, the thing I was most afraid of is that when you move into politics, then you move into a glass box. You move into a glass house. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows you. Everyone notices what you're doing. And, and, and that's the thing I think I was, most, um, I was most afraid of. I was the most afraid of how this was going to affect my family and what was going to happen with my family. Mm-hmm. And so, Is that more uh, worried about uh, kind of criticism or kind of you know, political muckraking or something like that? Yes, all of that, all of that. You, you, you know, um, nobody wants nobody wants their dirty laundry out in front, and t- you know. Um, but yes, all of that, and and someone coming after me politically, or I say the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and somebody take it wrong, and then that's, you know, put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're afraid of all of that. You're afraid of all that. What made you overcome that fear to say to yourself, "This is something I want to pursue"? 
when I started thinking about the good that I can do, when I started thinking about the voices um, of people out there who feel unheard by their representatives or, or, or by the Utah State legislators, um, I, I overcame the fear and decided that, okay, I'm, I'm just going to put myself out there and, and I'm going to do this, you know. Was there any part of you that was reluctant after you got going that uh, you thought to yourself, well, I feel like this is what I want to do, but it, there, there's still kind of this trepidation because you were worried about some pitfalls that may occur? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was I was very scared. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but after I uh, won the caucus, um, uh, won the caucus to be the, the person on the on the ballot mm-hmm. on the ballot. Um, my husband and I went to dinner one night. We went to get dinner one night, and while we were at the restaurant, my husband decided something told him go home. You need to get home, and so he uh, we ordered our dinner to go. And when we got home, um, his truck was on fire. Someone had set his truck on fire, and the truck was parked up close to the house. Someone set his truck on fire. Someone set his truck on fire. And so, of course, we called the police and the fire department, and and we were told that, oh, this is probably kids just being kids. But I understood the message that this person was trying to send, and we knew, um, and I knew it wasn't kids being kids, and it was set purposely because it was like a toilet tissue roll in there with paper in that somebody lit on fire and Mm -hmm. threw inside the truck. And so, um, and then later on, my security lights in the back of my home was shot out. And so... We knew the message that was being sent to us. Um, and so, of course, my husband beefed up our, communi- our um, security around our home mm-hmm. and placed cameras and fences and stuff. But during that time, I thought about um, backing down. I honestly thought about it. And I can say if my daughters were there, I would not have. But I have this um, aunt, Aunt Lee, who passed in October, I'm sorry, November of this past year. And she was this fierce civil rights leader. And she heard what happened, and she called me, and she said, look, let me tell you this. She said, I once stood on the steps of the Capitol in Mississippi, nose to nose with a member of the KKK, and I did not back down. And she said, don't you dare back down. You stand your ground, and you move forward in in your election. What I mean, that's an, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I have many thoughts. I feel heartbroken that that happened to you mm-hmm. and your family, but I also feel super proud mm-hmm. that you didn't back down and mm-hmm. grateful. Um, were there grateful is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, and I guess, you know, having that advice from your aunt, but were there issues or was there something that you saw missing in governing that you felt sort of, that was maybe your lifeline during that? Like that's what you held on to? You know, I've always been, um, I've, I'm a social worker, and I enjoy working with those. My passion, rather, has been those who are in poverty and those who are um, unsheltered and experiencing homelessness. And during the time when I ran for office, you know, people were not paying a real big attention to homeless issues. It wasn't a big thing. <laughs> and so I ran thinking, okay, I can give voice to this. I can give voice to this because my experience come from not reading it in a book or just driving by it, but I've actually been on the ground working in this. I've been at Pioneer Park sitting in a park with a client. 
Um, I've been on Fifth West with a client, you know, and so I know what I know because of, of me being in on the front lines with this. And, and I've thought about that, and I've thought about the number of people in my community who who are living in poverty, you know, and those who are um, voices are often forgotten when we do policies. And so that's what my thoughts were. I can I can give a voice to this. There's nobody, I, nobody is talking about this loud enough, and I can give this a voice. Do you feel like as a, as a, as a black woman, you, you have a singular kind of point of view that literally has never been in the Utah State Legislature before, but you, you also are kind of the conduit to other minorities mm-hmm. who face some of the same issues as people mm-hmm. in the black community. How do you uh, kind of address that as being kind of the standard bearer for all of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think I am. You know, I'm... I'm I'm fortunate enough to serve with these other incredible people, um, women of color in particular, um, and I think we all give a voice to that, and we all remind people that this this community is diverse, and when we are looking at these policies, we need to look at how it's going to um, affect other people. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. In the, in the community. You know, so I, I it's I, I give that voice to people. And I think a lot of times when you in the room, the, the, the conversation changes mm-hmm. and just being in the room, conversations change and you make people think. Well, and you bring something that they have not considered or mm-hmm. have no experience with. So it's vital, I think, to making effective uh, and compassionate policy. Absolutely. Um, to have those other, when uh, where I know Jason's itching to take a break here, but um, when we come back, I want to talk about a recent experience and okay. one that uh, has, you know, was probably painful and hard for you, mm-hmm. but has also kind of thrust you into the spotlight, whether you want to be there or not. <laughs> yes. And sort of where we go from here. Okay. When we come back, you'll have we'll have more with Representative Sandra Hollins, a Democrat of Salt Lake. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Back to Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're speaking with Utah State Representative Sandra Hollins, a Democrat from uh, Salt Lake City. And um, I'm going to kind of let the ladies take over this because, <laughs> the, and the reason, generally speaking, is this, this is literally one of those times when I felt like I was kind of glad it was a woman that had this happen with you because <laughs> as a guy, I would have just kind of been a volcano. I would have mm-hmm. lost my mind. But um, mm-hmm. 
Amy, I'm going to let you introduce this whole cir- yeah. circumstance of this so, new story. So I became aware of this incident from Twitter, the world's most mm-hmm. toxic uh, platform, <laughs> but also a really effective way for people to get their message out mm-hmm. when sometimes the normal channels are not available to you. Mm-hmm. It's when I love the democratization of information that it offers. Um, and uh, Jason knows I'm immersed in black Twitter for that reason, right? It's a lot of people who get ignored. She's more immersed in black Twitter than I am. <laughs> um, because I find that they sh- they alert me to things that I'm not hearing and seeing in our normal newsroom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not the most diverse place on not the planet. <laughs> so I saw on Twitter uh, and Representative Angela Romero, um, who I've we've had on this podcast Absolutely. a mm-hmm. number of times. Uh, she uh, quote tweeted something about something that had happened, and mm-hmm. there was some discussion about um, a comparison of slavery to uh, polygamy. And mm-hmm. anytime Jason and I have discussed this on a show, I don't know, it feels like too much. Yeah. But uh, any comparison to slavery always like makes us want to kind of cringe. Mm-hmm. Temper tantrum, talking mm-hmm. about volcano, right? Because we keep having this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I looked up the committee hearing video mm-hmm. and I watched the entire thing. And I it was one of the most uncomfortable things mm-hmm. I've watched. Now, committee hearings, if you haven't watched them, are boring and weird and mm-hmm. interesting. And all these, I love our government because it's interesting. <laughs> And it's also uh, horrifying. And, and boring. And boring, yeah. And so there's this committee hearing where a woman is trying to make a point about um, the evils of polygamy mm-hmm. and why you should not change it to an infraction. That's the bill that was before the yes. committee. Yes. And uh, she hands out name tags that have names on them. And then she writes a name tag that says slave and hands it to you. Yes. Um, and we don't know that until she then turns. And the thing that was really just stark to me was the, I mean, the comparison made me incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But then there was where she said, and we made slaves of women like her because of her skin color. And mm-hmm. she's basically forcing you to be a prop in her presentation yes. without your permission and in a very, I felt, objectifying and degrading way. Mm-hmm. And this is me. I'm a white woman, if you don't know, if you don't follow mm-hmm. our podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was, I actually had to turn it off and take a break because mm-hmm. I was so uncomfortable and I couldn't believe, I told Jason, the thing that bothered me most was not that this happened because this stuff happens, but that nobody else in the room thought to say, mm-hmm. hold on a second, like mm-hmm. you've taken this too far. So and, your experience. Yes, please. Yes, yes. So... So it was actually um, our caucus meeting. It was our caucus meeting, um, which was open to the public. And so, yes, she was there speaking out against um, Senator um, Henderson's bill. And so she proceeded to talk about how we identify. Mm-hmm. And then she turned it into this Labels. rant about yeah. yeah slavery, and then from there she proceeded to write the word slave on a name tag and hand it to me, and so I sat there, I sat there, um, and ended up leaving the room. And when I left the room, Mark um, Mark left the room. Mark Wheatley, Representative Mark Wheatley, also left the room um, because I thought it was not. I did not want to respond from the place where I was right then and there. Yes, ma'am. It was best not to respond. So my best outlet was to not give her an audience um, because I knew she was targeting me and she was trying to compare slavery to the suffering of blacks. Now, is there modern-day slavery? Yeah, there is modern-day slavery. I've talked about modern-day slavery and human trafficking before, but you can't compare your cause 
to that with the suffering. To the institution of slavery. To the institution of slavery. You cannot um, compare. There isn't anything. If you're wondering, there's nothing. There's no equivalent. It has no equivalent in this country. I I wouldn't say anywhere, but definitely not in this country. There's Mm -hmm. nothing. Polygamy, you can say, objectifies women. It turns women into commodities. Um, There's all kinds of things you could... I felt like... Um, there were some good points to be made with that idea of like what polygamy d- reduces women to. Yes. But it's still not slavery. And let me give you an example if you don't believe me. When a polygamous woman goes to a grocery store, mm-hmm. um, she's just a customer in the grocery mm-hmm. store. They let her buy commodity. Mm-hmm. They let her buy groceries. She does her thing. She goes back to her life, right? So you may say she doesn't have freedom in her life to do what she wants, but she has freedom of movement in this yes. country yes. that slaves never enjoyed. If you, as a black woman, if you were a legitimate slave and you went to a public space, everyone who was who looked like me had a right to you and your body and and everything about you, your children, everything you could be. So when you were having this, I mean, and and you go out and you kind of take a breather, what what goes through your mind? You know, I went um, to the house floor, and I sat there on the house floor. And because now in my mind I'm processing it, and I'm processing what is strategically what is my next move, because I knew I was going to address it. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how I was going to address it then and there. But how are you feeling? I am feeling... um, I am feeling angry. I am feeling belittled. Um, I'm feeling violated. Um, and so I think those were the main things that I was feeling at that moment. Mm-hmm. So as you, as you go and kind of process all of this, when you come back, how do you, were you able to have a chance to kind of uh, directly respond? Or no, it- no. I, I decided that I wasn't going to respond then and there. Mm-hmm. I, actually, um, I went back on the House floor. We took care of house business. Mm-hmm. I went home that evening. I addressed it with my husband and my daughters, and they sat there with their mouth open. Was like, "Mom, tell me this is a joke." Because when I saw it, <laughs> I too thought this can't be real. Yeah, right. and that's what they were saying. They were like, "Are you kidding me?" And my husband actually started laughing because he thought I was joking. I said, "No, this actually happened." And he was like, "I ain't gonna tell you what he said, yeah. but." <laughs> but I mean, I think it's important yeah. to note that uh, Representative Angela Romero did tell her, did she did confront her in the in and said. Mm-hmm. This is not appropriate. She did say this is not appropriate, and the woman started yelling back and arguing with her. And so, yeah, so later that night, um, I had another meeting with the um, Black Caucus, and so we went there, and we were taking care of caucus business, and I happened to pick up my phone and and just kind of quickly looked at Twitter and s- saw that someone had tweeted out about this, and I was like, okay, now this is out the there. world is going to know. Now right. the world is going to know. And um, this is it, 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 this is I knew it was about to take off. Okay, mm-hmm. and so uh, I do mean, you normally ignore? Like I, I want people to understand. Like, do you just if this happened and you would say uh, you make a decision between confronting them and ignoring? I mean, is that really when they're when you hear and see offensive things or people belittle you in small ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think our, microaggressions. The kids call them microaggressions, mm-hmm. but. Um, do you just always, are you constantly making this decision? Is this worth confronting the person and, mm-hmm. and explaining it? Or is this, we're just going to keep on because i got to get some stuff done today? You know, I think sometimes it becomes such a part of your life as a person of color in this community that sometimes it just becomes normal behavior to you, unfortunately. Um, and so I do make the decision of sometimes how I'm going to confront it or if I'm going to confront um, it at that moment or in that moment. And so that's what this was. I decided not to confront it 
in that moment. But I was going to deal with it and I was going to to confront it because, you know, for me, this was just um, a pattern of what has been happening. And I was looking for thinking that this is an opportunity to, to take this to a broader conversation because I hear all those, those conversations. I hear all of those conversations from people of color who don't feel safe coming forward and talking about what was going on. I remember I had a conversation with the police officer once, and he, we were talking about um, um, black people feeling unsafe and, and, and the relationship with the police and stuff, and, the, and he was like, well, I don't get those complaints. And I said, no, you don't, because people are not feeling safe with you. <laughs> they wouldn't tell you. I said, so I get those complaints when I'm at the backyard barbecue. People give me and trust me with that information, hoping that I will give it voice and do something with it. And so I knew I was going to give this voice. I knew that this was a, a, a opportunity to to start looking at the pattern in this state, and look at what is actually happening in this state. Look at this. This is just me with one incident, but this is happening to other people who are silenced and not saying anything. When we come back, we're going to discuss this a little further and talk about just the challenges of being a minority in an otherwise uh, male-dominated and often and uh, certainly uh, politically uh, Republican. Uh, state legislature where you're trying to get the, the work of the people done in yes. a way that's uh, you know fruitful for yourself and for the community. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're speaking with Utah State Representative Sandra Holland, the Democrat from Salt Lake City who uh, recently kind of had a a situation where she was made a prop in a rather ridiculous uh, example by a woman who was actually testifying in front of a committee uh, trying to uh, convince legislators how uh, polygamy, which is an issue in Utah because of some religious... uh, History. uh, History, that's a great way to put it, because today it's not really a thing, though there are are polygamists among us uh, here and there, uh, it, it is. It is a remnant. It of, is a remnant of the of the, uh, the original Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, but it is not part of the mainstream church today. Okay, so long and the short of this goes, though, is that when this happened to you and uh, this woman, she wrote "slave" and she was kind of conflating, as it turns out, comparing slavery with uh, poly- today modern day uh, polygamy, mm-hmm. and of course that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But. The fact that she chose you as the only African American person in the room yes. to uh, to be a slave to be an unwitting uh, participant in this uh, circumstance, you at the time uh, feeling the way you did, you felt it was best to leave and kind of come back and then address it. I would like to find out how you addressed it. You know, one of the things that I'm doing to address it is is to take this to a broader conversation, to talk about racism and biases, um, which I think is the is is large is what is going on. Um, I was silenced for a while. I think it was Thursday. It was Thursday when I finally, was it Wednesday or Thursday? Well, one day this week, I, I finally released um, my press. Um, I did a press release mm-hmm. on it, and I spoke up. Miss um, Kelly did reach out to me via email um, and asked me to meet with her, and I um, stated in my press release, I'm not sure if you all saw it, um, but I stated that I did not feel that um, I, I didn't have any interest in meeting with her. Um, I rather 
address the issues of my community and, and address the issues related to um, racism and biases. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to meet with her. Um, she has made her opinion very public. Um, she has gone after me on Twitter again. Um, and so I, I don't know what else to say to her. Yeah. I, I think that it is, you know, it is not my job to educate her. <laughs> and I think white people should understand this. And Jason and I have talked about mm-hmm. this a lot. There's a fatigue among people of color mm-hmm. with their white friends and that they love mm-hmm. and care about mm-hmm. that they have to constantly educate them and, and, and also persuade them mm-hmm. that this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Because when you start this conversation with people who look like me, the very first hurdle you have to clear is why the comparison between slavery and polygamy mm-hmm. is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exhausting mm-hmm. when you have to have that conversation. When, when it isn't obvious to you. When, it, when, it do, when, it, when you don't automatically say that's ridiculous. Yeah. Because it lets me know that you don't understand the, the history of slavery in this country. You and, know, and it's, and it's uh, tentacles. I would invite anyone who wants to know, um, uh, really understand slavery, to read the slaves' narratives. I started reading them about maybe two or three years ago, and I have not been able to get through all of them because it is it is just so heart wrenching yep. to listen to to read these people's experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, I have been um, approached in working with an organization here, well, Robert and Alice Birch. Mm-hmm. They have been trying to identify all of the slaves who are buried in this state who no longer, ha- who do not have a grave marker. Mm-hmm. And there is a number of them. We were able to mark the graves of two last year, but that's just a small portion of the people who have not, who, gra- who are lying in a grave, who are unidentified. Mm-hmm. And so part of what makes me upset is that my ancestors helped build this state and they helped build the United States. They put their blood, sweat, and tears into it. You don't get to build your political career. You don't get to build up your organization off their backs. Enough is enough. You, you don't get to do that now. Especially at their expense, no less, right? Especially at, at their expense. I will defend and protect that no matter who comes out and says it. And, and so I feel like what I've watched unfold, um, mm-hmm. there's a couple things. So I saw her um, basically criticize you on Twitter for not accepting her apology yes. and, and taking the <laughs> meeting. And, um, and I, I, my uh, response to that was, when you wrong someone, just anyone out there, if you ever wrong somebody, um, you don't get to choose how the person that you're apologizing to processes their hurt. Right. And so you were hurt by this. You were made a prop in this presentation. You had no and your power was taken from you. Mm -hmm. So the way I have been admiring the way you've taken your power back is to say, we're going to have a conversation, but I'm going to control when, where and how we have this conversation. And so you're thrust into this spotlight that you didn't seek. Mm -hmm. But I have been just blown away and impressed and grateful that you've taken this opportunity to say, now that you're all you know, paying attention, let me help you understand what it's like. Mm-hmm. And I think your colleagues have helped as, you know, been doing the same thing as well. Absolutely. And I've had people, I have been overwhelmed with the number of emails and phone calls that I have received from people who have been very, very, very supportive. I have been humbling and, and very grateful for the people who have approached me who have said, you know, 
I didn't get it before, but I get it now. Mm-hmm. I understand now, and I am so sorry that this happened to you. And, and let me add that if you don't get it, mm-hmm. that you still respect how someone feels. Right. Absolutely. So there are times where Jason and I have been having an exchange, and he's saying to me, I don't understand because I'm talking about some sexism thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, but he trusts that I'm speaking right. from my truth, mm-hmm. and that he, as a man, he just doesn't get it, and that he will. And mm-hmm. that his acknowledgement that it's that I'm speaking from my truth mm-hmm. will allow that line of communication to remain open. Mm-hmm. I know he doesn't get it. I know he doesn't mm-hmm. feel it 100. percent But eventually, and eventually, I get there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the same yeah. goes the other yeah, direction. Yeah, yeah. So it, I think the biggest issue I have is not respecting people when they say this offends and hurts me. We mm-hmm. say stop being too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Why did you take it that way? And I've heard all of that. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> we can list off about all all of the things that we. Yeah. And I'm taking and by me speaking out that I've taken from the larger conversation of polygamy. How dare I speak out? Because now now th- there's a larger conversation to be had than me being hurt. Right. You like know. S- somehow polygamy is bigger than the uh, the, the offense of another human being treating someone like a prop and disrespecting them as a human being, yes. let alone as a person and a woman of color. Yes. And, and yes. I think the importance of having that larger conversation is that there, this is happening in classrooms and right. businesses mm-hmm. and neighborhoods everywhere, and people are doing what we've all done in a different room. We just shut up because it's not worth it. we got things to accomplish, mm-hmm. and we know that we don't want to take the time to educate or that there's not a willing student. Mm-hmm. So we say... I'm just going to call my friends later and tell them the sad story, but I'm going to get my work done today. Yeah, you know, and I had a professor from the um, University of Utah contact me and said that he held a class around what the incident that happened. And they talked, yes, and they talked about it and talked about how do you handle these situations in the future. And I told him, thank you, because that's my goal. He's doing what I want to happen. I want to have a conversation around what happened. And, and, and like I said, a, con- a conversation around racism in this, in this state. When we come back, we're going to uh, ask Sandra some of the work she's done because she's been a lawmaker for six years, mm-hmm. hoping to continue to do that job for a little while longer. And I, I know how tough it is to be a Democrat in Utah, <laughs> but uh, I would love to find out more about your experience and what you hope to accomplish in your time uh, as a state legislator. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back. This is the Voices of Reason. uh, This is Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. We're speaking today with Utah State Representative Sandra Hollins, a Democrat from Salt Lake City. And you've been in the State House now for, what, six years? Six years, since 2015. Okay. And uh, what do you feel like uh, your your most... I don't know, the things you're most proud of that you've accomplished. I can think of one thing right off the top of my head, but uh, what, what are some of the things you think? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, um, I'm proud of um, the school to prison pipeline legislation that I worked on um, requiring that our SROs and cities have um, a MOU in place that outlines what their job so is. So SRO is student the, resource the, officers in the school system. Have a memorandum and of understanding. Have a memorandum right. of understanding where um, we know their job within the school system Mm -hmm. and that they have the training necessary to be able to work with kids from different backgrounds or kids who have different disabilities. And so I'm proud of that. Um, I'm also proud of the fact that I'm taking slavery, ironically, (laughs) 
<laughs> out of our Utah State Constitution. Uh, we all know that it was um, uh, it's in the 13th Constitution, and a lot of states decided to replicate that and place it into their Constitution. And so in Utah was one of those states. And so um, last year I passed a um, resolution saying that, okay, we need to take this out of our Constitution, and I'm proud to say that it is going to be on the ballot this upcoming year. Um, and so we're going to be voting on it. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things I'm, I'm very, very proud of. I'm also proud of uh, the fact that you were instrumental in helping to uh, get Utah to recognize Juneteenth yes. as a, a state day of recognition. And in a state where there's only like 1% of African Americans? I think we're just a little over but, 1% now. A little now. bit more than that, right? <laughs> and I, I've just, I remember uh, being on the MLK Commission at the time. And uh, when Governor Herbert signed that and you were yes. there, I was, I was very proud that you were able to kind of push that rock up the hill because yes. I know that could not have been an easy, uh, uh, an easy effort. Yes, and it was a lot of education going on, mm-hmm. a lot of educating because people didn't know what it was, didn't understand it. Explain real quick uh, Juneteenth is. So Juneteenth um, pretty much is the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. But we all know that they didn't have social media back then, so it was all word or of television. mouth. Or television. That's <laughs> all right. television. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all word of mouth. And so in, Gal- I believe it was Galveston, Galveston Texas, Texas yeah. the people there didn't know they were free. They didn't know they were free, and so it was afterwards that they found that they were free, and they were celebrating. And so this is a tradition that they've had since then that they celebrate this in June, June, uh, June, 19th. June 19th. They celebrate this um, um, holiday for them, and it's a big deal. And so they, they celebrate the freeing of the slaves and the emancip- signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Proclamation. And to me, I, I just am stunned that that's not a bigger holiday like we don't we don't know that date like Mm -hmm. we know december 7th 1941 Mm -hmm. you know um that's uh i mean that just goes to show you we just did a a a podcast um on black history month and Mm -hmm. and what that it is black history is american history it is american history yeah and but we don't learn it we don't learn it. We we do not. Not learn it. It's not broadly. Uh, like I came from uh, South Side of Chicago, so we had uh, African American teachers. Oh, absolutely. And so that helped kind of make that. Uh, it gave us an opportunity to learn more things that I think a lot of places uh, might not have uh, had in their curriculum. Yes, yes. And I grew up um, in a school, an all black school, with all black teachers, mm-hmm. and um, so I was taught my history. Mm-hmm. I was taught my history, but no, here um, I've raised two daughters, and much of what they know about their history is because I taught it to mm-hmm. them. Yeah, so we, what, we have this on a regular basis where I ask Jason if he knows about some person <laughs> something that or something, I probably and he knows, said, yes. Amy, every black person knows that. <laughs> so what, uh, what do you hope, though? I mean, you, you feel like you want to run again, right? Yes, I'm, I'm going, I plan on running again this year. So how can people donate? <laughs> well, fundraising I, is the I, most I cannot part. right yeah. now because oh, okay. I'm in session, so I cannot ask anyone oh, to okay. contribute to my campaign. Yeah. But after we're out of session, <laughs> then we can talk. That's right. So we yeah. can we can find we'll we'll figure out somebody to put that on. Yeah. Yes. So what do you uh, are there other kinds of issues you'd like to address in your time uh, as a state law- lawmaker? You know, I I want to continue looking at legislation around the school to prison pipeline and keeping our kids out of the the prison system. I um, continue want to work in on mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, um, and peop- and it I, I especially want to work on um, job for people who are formerly incarcerated. 
Um, I have a story on that. You know, getting a job and getting housing, if you've been uh, uh, an ex-offender, is, is, is exceptionally challenging. It's very challenging. You, we're in an environment where there's a housing shortage. And so landlords can pretty much handpick who they want to live in their apartments. And, and it's the individuals with a criminal background who are not being, being chosen. You know, and I always say that, yeah, we have a very strong economy here. But not everyone can adequately participate in it. You know, we have those individuals who are working two and three jobs to try to make ends meet. So how do we get them to where they are working just one job and able to, you know, support their families? Um, how do we get those who with a criminal background or formerly incarcerated mm-hmm. into jobs? And being able to work, you know, I sponsored um, Ban the Box legislation about two or three years ago, which says mm-hmm. that if you apply for a state job, that they cannot ask you about your background until you get in the interview, in which time you have a chance to explain. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that piece of legislation actually came from a constituent who approached me and said to me, you know, he said, I want to support my family. He said, I want to work. I want to support my family. I don't want to be living off the system. He said, but nobody is willing to give me a chance, and I just need that chance. And statistics show that if you give someone who is formerly incarcerated a job, they are going to be the hardest working person. They will show up on time. They are going to show up on time. They are going to stay late, and they are going to do whatever they have to do to to hold on to that job. So these are the kinds of issues that uh, face Communities just at large, not yes. necessarily uh, specifically um, uh, minority issues. But uh, is there a movement to kind of um, diversify our state legislature? I mean, because I still feel like in as much as yourself and, and uh, like Representative Romero and, and, and others and other uh, ladies are trying to, you know, make some uh, inroads, there's still a long way to go. There's still a long way to go. And I can tell everyone, I, I tell everyone that I may be the first, but I'm not the last black woman up at the Capitol. Um, And I push hard to get people to run for office. And we saw this last election cycle. We had Michelle Loveday run for Bluffdale, and we had Natalie Pinkley win the South Salt Lake City Council. Mm -hmm. And we do have a um, gentleman um, in um, Clearfield, Carice, I believe his last name is Thompson, um, who's been in office there. Mm -hmm. Um, um, So we are seeing, and we have Robert Birch, who's going to be running, who is running. And I had another young lady contact me, but I don't want to announce before her that she's running. And so we have all of these great people who are now stepping forward and saying, you know what, I'm interested in running for office. But let me tell you the best story I ever heard, the best thing that ever happened. I was at the Capitol one day, and this one, and it was a multicultural day at the Capitol. And this one young lady approached me. She was about maybe 15 or 16 years old. And she came up to me, and she said, are you Representative Hollins? And I said, I am. She said, I hear that you're the first black woman to ever be elected to a state-level position. I said, I am. She said, well, I want to introduce myself. I'm going to be the first African woman elected to the state legislature. And I said, I look forward to serving with you. And so it's so funny because now I have a number of young um, black kids who are coming to me and they are saying, I'm going to knock you out of your position one day. Right. <laughs> and yes. I said, I look forward to it. Absolutely. <laughs> We're almost out of time, but really quickly, do you worry that what happened to you and the, and the I guess the you know, the attention that it got, that that might discourage some of these women if they say, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to go into that environment. Absolutely not. You know, some of the women that I've been meeting with, they are on fire. 
They are on fire and saying, we need to get these positions. This is the reason why we need to run the office for office and why we need to be at the table and why we need to be in leadership. So it's not discouraging them. It's fueling them. They're, they're getting, fuel, they're getting fuel, from this. fuel from this. And, and they are upset and they're angry and they're organizing and wondering, what do we need to do and what's the next step? I don't want to take it anymore. That's, that's, what, you, that's what needs to happen, right? That's what needs to happen and that is what is doing. I, I found that all of these amazing people in the community, in the black community, have circled their wagons around me. Well, you are an amazing woman and I am so grateful thank to have you, you so on here much. today. And thank you very much for being with us. Representative Sandra Hollins, thank you. a Democrat from Salt Lake. Join us for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed at gmail.com or you can find me at vorjasonl at gmail. You can also find us on Twitter at ad on, uh, on sports at adjacently one. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast, and you can check out our Facebook page where you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on any place where you find interesting content, uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, any of those places. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.